to the sermon podcast of Paoli Presbyterian Church. The following sermon is by the Reverend Dr. Michael Wilson. Good morning. There we go. Let me add my thank you to the band. Wonderful job this morning. And also, yeah, you all were here and the uh, tech team here late last night. I think many of you were here. So uh, thanks, uh, thanks, for, thanks for coming back. I'm delighted to be with you this morning. I want to say a word with you and for us, maybe to you this morning, about some of the deepest questions that we hold as human beings questions about human suffering, questions about why do things happen in our lives and other people's lives. They're deep questions, and often they are painful questions and even risky questions for us to allow ourselves to ask. So I'm going to ask you to do that um, with me this morning. Let's pray together. God, open your word to us and open us to your word that it might bring healing, that it might bring life, that it might bring comfort in places where we desperately need it. Amen. So these questions about human suffering are they're not abstract questions. They're questions that come right at the root of many of ours into the middle of our lives. They're questions about my 51-year-old uncle who died with a disease that could not be cured. Maybe they're questions for you about a family member or a relationship. They're touched on several places in Scripture, and we're going to look at two of them today. One of them is actually a really, really familiar passage to many people. If you grew up in church, this may be a familiar passage to you. If you didn't, it might not be, but if you grew up around church, you might recognize it's the 23rd Psalm. So, I'm going to, so let's just do a little show of hands here. People who know the 23rd Psalm? I've got a couple people. So here's the other question. I won't ask you to do this, but anybody memorized the, the 23rd Psalm? Yeah, but so we've got a few people, right? So at one point in life, memorize the 23rd Psalm. Here's the 23rd Psalm for you. And you know what? If you memorized it, this is always the case. If you, if you know the 23rd Psalm, it can sound a little funny because it's not what you memorized. I'm, I'm going to read the, the New Revised Standard Version. Many of us, if we memorized it, memorized the King James Version. This is not the King James Version. All right, this is the New Revised Standard Version. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want... He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, you know what, if you memorize it, you probably memorize it this way. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, a dark valley, the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil. For you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. 
Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord my whole life long. Again, if you memorized it, it actually is often translated, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. It's the 23rd Psalm. And then this other is a story from Jesus' ministry. It's less familiar. It comes from John chapter 9. And it says, as, he, as Jesus walked along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked Jesus. So Jesus' disciples asked Jesus, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? I want you to hear that question. They see human suffering. They see someone who's got something wrong in his life, and they look at Jesus, and they say, well, Jesus, tell us this. It's kind of an A or B, right? Your answers are A or B. Is it this man's fault, or is it his parents' fault? Those are Jesus' options. Jesus answered, neither this man nor his parents sinned. He was born blind so that God's works might be revealed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day, night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in this world, I am the light of the world. When he said this, he spat on the ground and made mud with saliva and spread the mud on the man's eyes, saying to him, go wash in the pool of Siloam, which means scent. Then he went and washed and came back able to see. The neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar began to ask, is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Some were saying it is he. Others were saying, no, no, it's someone like him. He kept saying, I'm the man. But they kept asking him, then how were your eyes opened? He answered, the man called Jesus made mud, spread it on my eyes, and said to me, go to Siloam and wash. Then I went and washed and received my sight. They said to him, where is he? Where is Jesus? And he said, I do not know. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. So I want to say a word of introduction, which is always a little awkward to know where to put it. Because if you put it right at the beginning, then people are like, okay. And honestly, sometimes then people check out before the sermon starts. And we don't want people to check out before the sermon starts, right, Jonathan? If you put it here, people are like, wait, is it where it's supposed to be the middle of the sermon? So, so, so this is, we're going to try a segue here. If we haven't met, and I did try to, I know some of you, my name is Michael Wilson. Jonathan, thank you for that introduction. Jonathan, not surprisingly, was a great student, right? This is so you're super great to get to know you and, and, and wonderful to accompany you as a colleague in ministry um, in these years now, Jonathan. The Presbytery of Donegal is the 50 Presbyterian churches in York and Lancaster and Chester County, one congregation in Hartford County, Maryland, about 12,000 Presbyterians in these three counties. Aaron Cox Holmes is the executive presbyter. She and I are the deployed staff. And so our job is to support congregations in ministry, to support leaders in ministry, to help congregations during transitions and support PNCs, Amy, as you all go about your extraordinary work. And we're uh, glad, to be, glad to be doing that. 
The Synod of the Trinity is all of the 17 presbyteries in this synod in all of Pennsylvania, most of West Virginia, and a little slice of Ohio. Don't ask me why that's the case. I didn't draw those boundaries, but that's what they are. And there are actually about 900 Presbyterian PCUSA churches in Pennsylvania, this little slice of Ohio and West Virginia, and about 126,000 Presbyterians in that region. Um, if, you, if you know any of our history, uh, the Scotch-Irish settlers came into New Jersey, Philadelphia was an early area, and then Pittsburgh was another area. So we've got, they, they say, it's always awkward to say, but Presbyterians are dense in this part of the country, right? So we hope, in some ways, we hope, yeah, we hope not in other ways. As, um, as stated clerk, it is, it's my privilege to serve you all as someone who helps to support congregations and, and presbyteries in this ever-changing world where we do ask deep questions about church and its future and our lives and its future. I have another connection with this congregation in that we both have strong but independent congregations in Cairo. One of my good friends from seminary, Dustin Ellington, was a professor at the Evangelical Theological Seminary in Cairo for a number of years, and one of my great privileges was to visit him. He's in Beirut now, and I know you all have strong connections with that, that place and, and wonderful ministry there. Before I was a stated clerk, I was pastor of a congregation in southern Lancaster County for 15 years, the Chestnut Level Presbyterian Church. When I left there, I counted up the number of funerals that I did, and I had done 181 funerals. Now, 15 years is 12 months. 15 times 12 is 180. So you all can do the math, and how many sermons did I do on average every month? One, right? Yeah, it's, it's, it's pretty, right? So, so on average, and you know, this doesn't happen every month, but on average, while I was there, I did one, I mean, I did a funeral every month. Which means that just, I mean, just all the time, felt like, it did feel like all the time. All the time I was standing in um, either a funeral home or in that church or another church and then next to a grave. And we lowered caskets into the ground. And those funerals ranged from giving thanks for long, life's, long lives well-lived to really unimaginable tragedy. I was doing premarital counseling with a young couple once, and then he got a kidney disease. And so instead of doing a wedding, I did a funeral. And she wore her bridal gown to the funeral. Right? So that's, and, that's, and that's one story. You may have a story in your own life of those kinds of events that have happened to you or those you love. And it is risky for us to start to meddle around in those parts of our lives because they can be really, really deeply painful. But I want to tell you, I mean, this is where the gospel comes to bear for people. This is where lives get deeply changed when people start to ask questions like this. At roughly half of those funerals, I went back and looked, at roughly half of those funerals, I, I or somebody read the 23rd Psalm. It's a psalm that the church has looked to time and time and time again when people walk through the valley of the shadow of death. And notice that psalm doesn't say if 
or that God keeps people away from the valley of the shadow of death. The psalm says, when I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'm going to have confidence that God is with me. The Lord is my shepherd guiding me in places like this. There is no promise in the life of faith that we will never encounter human suffering in our own lives or the lives of those around us. And then you heard that John passage. I mean, they're kind of walking along and they see a man who's got deep, he's a beggar, he's got deep problems in his life. He's, he's a person who from birth struggled and they wonder, well, where'd this come from? And, and, and they, they don't actually ask what can happen about it. They just go, where does this come from? I looked around, you know, the our world. Um, it's about a week and a half ago, the Silicon Valley Bank failed, right? Yeah. I have a friend who's a pastor in San Francisco, and he called me up, and he said, Michael, how are you? I said, I'm fine. His name's Shannon. I said, Shannon, how are you? He said, not good. I said, well, you know, what's going on? So their congregation had three quarters of their financial assets in the Silicon Valley Bank. Gone. Kurt right now is thinking, where's Kurt? You're th he's thinking right now, <laughs> how's our bank doing? <laughs> Not, and, and to be clear, um, this pastor wasn't feeling blamed by that, you know, by the session, I think it wasn't his choice. But you know, there, there they are, they're facing something. I mean, they don't, they don't really have much agency in that. They're wondering what to do. We're at the one-year anniversary of um, the Ukraine war, or this section of the Ukraine war. Something around 8,000 civilians dead, 12,000 civilians injured. I mean, there's, there's just horror visited on people's lives. They wonder what to do. We woke up a couple of weeks ago to a, um, an earthquake in Turkey and Syria. There's over 50,000 people dead and refugees streaming out of those countries into, into Beirut, as a matter of fact, where my friend is. I mean, these things go on all around us. One of the things I learned in ministry, I've learned in ministry is that um, many of us have a deal with life. And the deal with life is what we are going to do to make life work. And often our deal is as long as we do what we're supposed to do, life is supposed to work out. Atlanta, Georgia is known as the city too busy to hate. They were busy. No, no riots there during, in the 1960s when there were a lot of riots all over the country. And if you go to Atlanta now, the deal in Atlanta, around Atlanta these days, is boy, if you're busy and you get stuff done and you pack your resume and you keep your kids busy, then life is gonna work out for them. It's actually kind of a suburban deal. Many of us sign up for this deal. If we're parents, we're gonna get our kids into the right school and then they're gonna to go to the right school and then they're gonna get a good job and then things are gonna be fine. If we get the right things on our resume, then we'll get promotions at work and everything's gonna be fine. And that's kind of the deal. I was, uh, with a friend in Washington, D.C., and this is a college friend, one of the brightest people I know. And in college, I asked her what she was going to do. And, and here's what she said to me. She said, 
I'm going to go to Washington, D.C. and fix the world. That's a noble thing to say when you're 20 years old, right? Like, like I'm, and she was super bright. So this was several years after that. And, I, and so I happened to be visiting with her. And I said, like, how's it going? And she said, well, these are among the brightest people I know. And the world is not getting fixed. <laughs> but that's kind of the deal in some parts of the world, right? If we're smart enough, we'll fix the world. My daughter just moved to L.A. for graduate school. And so I asked my daughter, I said, how's life in L.A.? And here's what she said. She said, you know what? These are the most attractive people I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> That's kind of the deal in L.A., right? Be attractive, and your life's going to work out. I live in Lancaster County. None of those deals are operative in Lancaster County. <laughs> here's the deal in Lancaster County. We'll work hard. There's farmers in Lancaster County. Do you know how many days a year cows get milked? 365. You know what happens on Christmas morning in a farmer's you know, shop? The cows get milked. What happens on New Year's morning, Memorial Day morning, Labor Day morning, right? Like, like they, they work hard. And the deal is, in Lancaster County, we'll work hard and life will be fine. And I want to tell you, Tenderly, but also truthfully, there comes a time in every life where the resume doesn't work, you can't be busy enough, we're not attractive enough, we can't work hard enough. And then we've got real questions. I stuck my hand in my pocket. <laughs> I'll preach like this, all right? Thank you. It's a question that runs from the beginning of Scripture throughout all of Scripture. If you've read the Bible, you know that in Genesis chapter 2, in this good garden, um, things don't work out that well. This is the early question of, well, like, why, why are there things like that, this in the world? The book of Job, um, which is, some people think, the very first book of the Bible written, runs through with this question. And here, Jesus encounters it. And I want you to see in this story that he sweeps it aside. I mean, let's acknowledge that there are times in life when life doesn't work out that it is our fault. I was thinking as I was getting this ready, in high school, I had two other, two guys who were really good friends, and we were taking a history class, and the teacher gave us the three questions on the exam and told us to prepare for it. 
I mean, that doesn't, it doesn't get much easier than when the teacher gives you the exam questions, right? These are going to be the exam questions. Somehow my friends and I got the idea that we would each prepare one question and then we would trade papers during class. I, again, I just want to say to you, like, it would have been okay if we would have each prepared one question and then talked it over before class. So I can't exactly decide, remember why we decided we would do this in class, but we did. So this did not work out all that well for us. In particular, at one point, I had two, piece, two tests on my desk. And some of you are teachers, or you, I mean, we've all, most of us have had teachers. It was pretty obvious. So when we were sitting in the principal's office, I don't imagine if one of us would have said, I wonder who sinned, us or our parents, that the principal would have been said, oh, neither one, we sinned. All right, I just want like, like, right, like, I, there are times like that in life, but not this time. Not when this man was born blind. Jesus says, no, no, no. Sweep that deal aside. Whatever deal you've got with life, it doesn't work in this situation. Jesus flips it. I want you to notice, he doesn't go into some long philosophical explanation of this is how evil came to the world. He says, no. In these situations where sufferings come into the world in ways that we cannot explain, there is now, according to Jesus, an opportunity for light to shine into a dark world, for goodness to come into a place of darkness. And so Jesus bends over, spits on the dirt, takes mud, and puts it on the man's eyes. That's all pretty earthy stuff, right? The theological concept at play there is the concept of the incarnation. It is the concept, and this is a, this is, in, in my mind, this is one of the things that's truly unique about Christianity, that God became human, that God entered into this suffering, that God became part of who we are, earthiness and all. When, if, I should say if and then when, if, but also when, you yourself are wandering through that dark valley, wondering why this has happened to you or someone that you has, have loved. There's an opportunity there to remember that these are exactly the places where Jesus became human. Got his hands dirty, muddy, and touched human life. And then Jesus says, we're going to do good works while it's light, the dark is coming. This is, I think, or scholars think, a reference to Jesus' crucifixion, that Jesus alone among human history, has gone into the darkest, deepest valley of human suffering of death and come out. So that when we're there, we know that there is a way back out of it and someone who has been there before us and who can be there with us. I know enough about my own life and have walked with enough human lives to know, friends, that eventually, eventually every person either looks at another human life and says, you know what, I don't understand that, 
or something happens in our own life and we say, you know what, I definitely don't understand that. Jesus, as he heals a man who did not remain healed, that man, like you, went on to other suffering. You know, as we're, as we're in those moments, I think, um, I think there's an opportunity for you to um, really ask those deepest questions and to discover perhaps not some grand philosophical answer that helps you understand the universe, but something beyond the deal that you've made with life that isn't working at that moment. It's a thing called grace, which is when Jesus comes, maybe in an earthy way, does a healing, maybe walks with you through a valley, and then at the end gives you hope that you can pass on to others. I want to pray for all of us just briefly, and then we're going to invite you, if you'd like an elder or a pastor, to pray for you individually, to come forward, lay hands upon you. And I would, just, I, I would invite you to offer that part of your life where there's suffering right now um, there that it might be healed. Let's, let's pray together. God, uh, we recognize that when we start to um, meddle around in these parts of our hearts, it can be pretty challenging. And so, God, if there's people here today who are remembering a grief that has not been healed, or a question that has not been answered, or a suffering that is ongoing right now, I, I do pray that they'll be able to, to give that to you, to maybe come forward, have hands laid upon them, and receive your goodness and hope into their lives in and through Jesus Christ. We pray in his name. Amen.